When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Base boys, base boys. Base boys, base boys. It is Binge Boys. I'm Hal Rudnick, sitting across from me on a screen via Zoom, Lon Harris. Hey, Lon, what is happening in your world? It's earlier in the day than we usually record these, so um, I'm not adjusted yet. I'm not in Binge Boys mode just yet. I gotta get into it. Do you still got sleepies in your eyes, Lon? Well, it's not that early in the day. It's just earlier in the day than we would normally be. Like, I still have stuff to do after this, whereas usually Binge Boys is like the last thing I have to do, and then I can, you know... Put on your sleep cap and your... Yeah, and your... I, no. <laughs> That's when I can start doing hardcore drugs. I gotta wait till the end of Binge Boys boys that it's like finally i can push off yep it's five o'clock somewhere <laughs> time to Heroin do time. daddy's fentanyl yes any other news or notes from your part of the world lon i was uh, recording remotely now i'm back in my uh la headquarters yeah you're, you're back in the attic i can see yes uh, you're uh-huh. in, the, in the hereditary <laughs> uh you know uh tree house where you record bench voice indeed indeed <laughs> nothing much to report just i'm i'm you know i'm doing the usual how about yourself uh how's it being back in town it's good it's good good to see the wife and the and the other two dogs who are i feel like since my dog millie passed the other two dogs have been uh, a little bit more uh, a little bit more emotionally available to me. <laughs> what does that mean? Explain. Well, Unpack this. Uh, okay, so Lucci, uh, my so my wife has had Lucci for over ten years, and Lucci kind of has the attitude of a cat in the body of a dog. Mm. Very a little standoffish, a little bit like, okay, I'll deal with you on my time. Is this dog named for Susan Lucci? I don't know because my wife. All the time you guys have been together, you never once were like, "Where's the name Lu- Lucci's a, an unusual name?" She might have told me. But oh boy. Uh, it's, it's not Susan Lucci because uh, she's not a huge soap opera head. Yeah, I was about time, to say, so. just like, well, she didn't get an Emmy for a long time, but at least this dog is named for her. You know what? I'll unpack it. I'll text her right now. and It's if, okay. Uh, we get the, I don't the, really. The, honestly, it's fine. I, I uh, feel like you ought to know, but I don't really care. I do know the derivation of uh, our other dog's name, Lil Wayne. I mean, that's it's sort of self-explanatory. Well, he, he got it at the shelter. Because he loves scissor. Exactly. It's the dog can't get enough purple drank, so it was a natural, it was a natural name. Yep, yep. I guess we'll call him Wheezy. But I call him uh, The Carter. Yeah, if your dog's named Lil Wayne, you can then call it Wheezy, or you, know, you can use all of Lil Wayne's own nicknames. I think that's the rule. I give dogs just innumerable nicknames, and I call Lil Wayne, uh, it has evolved, and instead of Lil Wayne, I almost 100% of the time call him Peter. Why? It just evolved. Wayne went to Weenie. Weenie went to Wiener. Wienerd. It's a weird story. I don't. Yeah, know. weird story. Yeah. Great story, bro. Great story. <laughs> I just like I don't know what to make of that. Like I, I guess we could follow the evolution of it. I thought that was a reference to something. I was like, is that like Peter Griffin? I don't know who. <laughs> no, just no, no. Just a glimpse into the mind of Hal Rednick, folks. There you go. There it is. Wayne to Weenie to Wiener to Peter. <laughs> But uh, the dogs have been a little bit more, they know that there's a, a little bit of a void here and one of the members of the pack is gone and they, the one that I was closest to and they, you know, they'll lay by me a little bit more. I would love to believe that dogs have this level of emotional empathy. intelligence mm-hmm. and empathy. I do not. I, I personally don't really believe that. I, I feel like they're reacting to something like you don't have another dog around. So they're like, oh, I'm going to. 
I'm going to walk up to this guy. Maybe he's got a treat. You know, I think it's. Oh, yeah. I think usually you can explain dog behavior in some rudimentary way as opposed to like, oh, I, I sense a void. Someone is grieving. Oftentimes, I mean, most often, it's a ploy to get treats. I think you're exactly well, right. Well, it's because it's like, because humans don't really have emotional intel. Like, we, we have much bigger brains and we're conscious and sentient, whatever. And like, even we're like, self-involved, oblivious shits like 99% of the time. So it's like you can't even count on a person to be like, oh, how's a little sensitive today? Maybe I'll give him an extra 10 minutes of my time, which almost no one does. How could sure. you possibly count on a dog or a cat to be perceptive on that level? I don't know. Maybe it's just this intuitive uh, thing that they have. Maybe it's a... They're freaked out by, like, fireworks. Like, they're dumb. <laughs> they don't know what's going on. True, but then you also hear stories about dogs being able to sense... Cancer. I honestly don't usually believe those stories. What about a service animal? When they're like, can... ooh, the, the cat in the hospice uh, always goes to the room of whoever's going to die next. Like, they're, it's a hospice. They're all going to die next. That's not... Right. Also, the dogs were in the car when we took Millie to the vet for the uh, the final trip. Maybe they're buttering you up because they think that you're going to just leave them somewhere. <laughs> they're like, this guy's crazy. He will abandon us. Yeah, he, he will just like... You remember that old lady that used to be here? Where the yeah. fuck is she? <laughs> What the fuck? One day she's in the car, next day she's just gone. This guy's a maniac. Don't want to end up in the L.A. River or the woods. We got to keep him happy. Yeah. So anyway, the dogs are just a tad a uh, little more emotionally available. Or they're convinced that you're a monster who's going to just leave them in the woods to fend for themselves. Whatever it is. Working for you. Don't question it. I think we found the Patreon behind the paywall. Uh, Hal and Lon break down the inner lives of dogs, yeah. the secret lives of pets. We're like the Caesar Milan of uh, podcasting, but totally untrained and inexperienced. Yes. Just a lot of uneducated guesses. Yeah, yeah. Lon, let's go to the news. All right. It's the news with Lon. So Trey Parker and Matt Stone, you know, the South Park dudes. Sure, the folks behind Book of Mormon. The Book of Mormon dudes. They have signed a reportedly $900 million deal with Viacom CBS that will keep them making South Park through 2027. Now, that will wow. be season 30 of South Park, but they're also going to make two films per year for Paramount+. Plus. That's a total of 14 movies over the course of this deal. And those are all South Park movies? 14 South Park movies. The first two are coming later this year, and they're like, they're already in development. Uh, Parker and Stone were saying it's basically one story over two movies, uh, and those all go exclusively, not to theaters, they're all going to Paramount+. Plus. That's a crazy amount of content. This was all announced as part of Viacom CBS's Q2 earnings report. Uh, they have 42 million global subscribers now. They're going to roll out Paramount Plus and Pluto TV in many, many more countries, 20 more countries and territories over the next year. What's the Pluto TV? Viacom CBS owns it. It's one of those free ad-supported services. So you can gotcha. go watch a bunch of stuff on there as long as you're willing to watch ads. It's all free, but those apps are very popular. Like Roku has Roku Channel. It's the same kind of idea. Gotcha. I like the uh, South Park longer specials that they put out every so often. The, uh, the pandemic special was a lot of fun. And just, you know, you often get like a nice little bite of uh, strong social commentary and they're great. Uh, just uh, I like their take on the big news stories. And don't forget, South Park, Bigger, Longer, Uncut was such a good fucking movie. <laughs> so good. I don't know if South Park has had overall the best impact on our culture and how people oh, think right. about politics. We don't have to get into all that. But it's no, it's I think it's worth mentioning a couple of things. It's certainly a an iconic show, a, a very funny show. But I have to say this makes me kind of sad, not even so much because of the South Park of it, but just... Trey Parker in particular, I don't want to single Matt Stone out, but like Trey Parker mm -hmm. in particular, there's so much that these guys could be doing. I mean, I think if you yeah. look at when they do step away from South Park, they're capable of doing something like Book of Mormon. 
I agree with what you said about bigger, longer, uncut. Like, it just feels like there's so much these guys could be doing and could mm-hmm. be saying. I get it. Like, how could you walk away if a major conglomerate is like, we're going to give you $900 million to keep doing the job you've been doing for 25 years? I know you've been yearning for Orgasmo, too. Yes, in a weird way. Like, I, like mm-hmm. Orgasmo's kind of, you know, it's silly or whatever. But, like, yeah. yeah, like, they arrived on the scene as this very exciting voice. And the one time they walked away from South Park and did something big and considerable on their own that wasn't South Park, it was this huge hit that gave us a bunch of celebrities and mm-hmm. people still love those songs. And I, it just, it feels a would little... we have Josh Gad without... Right, we wouldn't. Andrew Rennell's and Josh Gad. We wouldn't have either of those guys. Mm-hmm. To me, it feels like, oh, you know, I... I have we not gotten enough South Park out of these two gents by now? Like, do we not feel like they've explored Cartman as much as we need him explored and it's time to let them move on? And I appreciate what uh, you said about the uh, the checkered past with kind of the political commentary and stuff that emerged from South Park because it's like they've created a Frankenstein monster in regards to certain aspects. To this day, yeah. anytime there's an election... Mm -hmm. A certain number of people will make the argument that it doesn't matter who wins and they will use the comparison of a turd sandwich and a giant douche. And to me, that's one of those cases of them being very funny and coming up with a very memorable metaphor that people enjoyed and was funny. Mm -hmm. But it's now lingered in the public consciousness and become this very toxic idea that it never matters and you shouldn't bother to vote and elections are pointless. And we've seen time and time again how dangerous that can be. Be mm-hmm. and the consequences of that kind of nihilistic attitude. And I feel like you could look at a lot of points in South Park history and be like, okay, they're like kind of vapid centrism and their idea that anybody who cares about anything or anybody who feels outspoken or passionate. They're dumb, and it's better to not care. Or if it wasn't my candidate, it's all the same. Like, listen, I think uh, you know Bernie Sanders would have been a you know a better president than especially the person who was last in office and many others. But uh, shit, man, still vote. And and yeah, and I, I feel like there's a lot of that cynicism that it's a little it's nuanced as presented in South Park, but the impact that it has on people's brains is yes. just cynicism. A- another thing that's broadly taken from South Park and the actual episode escapes me, but there's like an awful anti-trans meme that gets passed around from a South Park episode. Is it Mr. Garrison? I feel like there was a lot of questionable gender. It looks like Macho Man Randy Savage wearing uh, yeah. like a bikini. Yeah, I think that might be when Mr. Garrison, there was a long plot line about him switching genders or being trans and yeah it doesn't it doesn't always play yeah look they're, they were doing edgy satirical political satire for decades mm-hmm. some of it's not going to age as well as others i think that's forgivable I, i'm really coming at this from the from a fan perspective like i'm a big fan especially yeah. trey parker he seems like such an incredibly creative funny yes. guy i just i hate to feel like he's going to spend his literally entire career on cardboard cutout foul talking children just because we all got so fixated on it. Right. But then again, you know, it, it's still like super funny sometimes. I mean, they. And look, most people will go their whole careers and never come up with something like this. Sure. Like, I love the pandemic special and uh, that image of Mickey Mouse fucking a bat in Wuhan is <laughs> just way funnier than it should have been. They're, they're very funny and they're, it's very creative. That's how South Park was able to do what it does for so long. Like, they never would have gotten away with being this outrageous and edgy and questionable for decades if it wasn't so funny and clever that you kind of can't fault it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, you know, like, good for them. Can't fault these guys for securing the bag. Indeed. But, you know, like, I don't know. There's a part of me that's like, no, oh, I really wish we would get another Book of Mormon or just to see what they would do unchained from, you know, Randy and uh, Stan and Kyle. Unchained from, what, Six Days Till Air? What was the name of that? Yeah, right. From that process that keeps them locked in that small office, just churning this out week after week after week. And, like, God bless them. I'm glad they're doing it. And, you know, but, like, oh, man, it'd be be nice to give them a little creative vacation and see what 
Cannibal the Musical 2 would look like, you know? Cannibal the Musical is so good, too. Jesus Christ. Okay, I'm asking an unanswerable question, or maybe it is. I, I might be biting off too much here, but uh, Juan, uh, gun to your head, Simpsons or South Park? The Simpsons, for me, clearly, seasons like three through nine or ten of The Simpsons, mm -hmm. more than maybe any other single thing impacted and changed my view of comedy and TV and what was funny mm -hmm. and I don't think there's any show I would pick over that era of The Simpsons. Good answer. I, I tend to agree and I think uh, Simpsons just had more of a formulative impact on television as a whole. Well certainly my sense of humor, like my sense of humor is much more Simpsons than South Park. Would you have South Park without Simpsons? I mean maybe. I, I like South Park in some ways is the reaction you know like the Yes. The Simpsons had set the tone for what adult animation and like you know that kind of animation on TV was going to be, and then you had almost a full decade of other people trying to do their own take on The Simpsons. Like, we forget a lot about all those shows that came, like yeah, Capital Critters, and, Mission yeah. Hill, Fish Police. Like, yeah. they tried for years and years after The Simpsons to, like, what's the next Simpsons going to be? And right. nobody could really come up with it. And then South Park was, like, this very crass, raunchy, unexpected twist on it. Like, oh, you think Bart Simpson's objectionable because he's an underachiever? Like, these kids are swearing and talking about sex and mm -hmm. being racist and, you know. So I, I think in some ways, yeah, you did need Simpsons to come along so South Park could... And Family Guy. Yeah. Both of those were like, yes, we're yes, going to yes, be yes. the anti-Simpsons. And that's funny because Simpsons in its time was also reactionary. It was like, oh, all these goody-goody family sitcoms about happy families. We're going to make one where the dad is fat and drunk and oblivious and the mom right. is like uh, stressed and hates her life. And, you and know. I think you before that you had the very impactful uh, live action uh, Married with Children. Yeah, it's, it's always and, uh, a yeah. pendulum swing back and forth. And that was all the Fox family uh, back then. Yeah. Right. It's always a pendulum swing back and forth. The very first generation of Fox shows, which was Tracy Ullman and Married with Children, that was what it was. It was yeah. the networks are giving you squeaky clean happy family sitcoms and we're, we're the bad boy network Work, you know, like exactly. that was their thing in the early days. Totally. Personified today by Tucker Carlson, the ultimate bad boy. <laughs> White supremacist television with Tucker Carlson. All right, continuing. Next news story is, uh, we talked about physical. It's a show that yes. I thought was very good. I thought it was very well made, but it made me anxious and upset and I could not bear to watch it. That was my take. Rose Byrne's character was just no holds barred. And like she was her inner life, her inner monologue. We got to see the awful rough edges of this person yeah. who was. I had a friend, I'm not going to call them out, uh, who on Twitter, mm -hmm. she loves the show. And, and every once in a while, she'll be like, she can't believe it. Why are people getting into physical? Why don't any of you ever talk about physical? It's like, you really can't understand why. Like It was like my blood pressure doubled by halfway through the episode. Like being in that woman's world, I thought was so miserable. Like, like I couldn't, I couldn't bear it. Anyway, a lot of people apparently disagree with me, along with uh, Mr. Tim Apple himself, mm -hmm. because they've renewed Physical for a second season. It will come back for more episodes. So if you are delighting in Sheila's journey into darkness slash aerobic workout fame, there's more on the way. But... It comes along with Apple's first ever cancellation, How We got our very first, Ooh. the first show ever canceled in the history of Apple TV+. Plus. It's Little Voice. This was a drama series about an aspiring songwriter in New York City, and it comes from executive producer Sarah Burrells. People assume she's a songwriter. It's a show about a songwriter. It's about her. But she was very quick to stress that this was not autobiographical. She just liked the series. But not coming. Gotcha. Well, um, if you want to scratch that Sarah Burrell's itch, uh, check out Girls 5 Eva. Which is coming back for a second season, deservedly so, and uh, nice. was terrific. And I I honestly do feel like it's unfair that she's very funny and is a good actress. Like, you, you shouldn't be very talented as a songwriter, also a really good singer, beautiful, and very good at acting. That's not, listen, come on. Listen, she's a five-tool player. She's a five-tool player. Be bad at something, Sarah Burrells. I demand it. I'm almost glad her show got canceled just because she needs to, she needs to take at least one L in this life. Don't we all? <laughs> I'm kidding. I only want the best for Sarah Burrells. Um, can I rant about Peacock for a second since we brought up Girls uh, 5 Eva? 
Sure. You know what? Oh, Peacock, you sneaky motherfuckers. Peacock and NBC putting the USA men's basketball games at the Olympics behind that Peacock paywall, which I still have not paid for. Oh, God. You- There's so much about Peacock's Olympic coverage to be upset about. It's terrible. Oh. You're ranting about the one thing I get. That Of course they want to make you. Why would they yes, give you everything course. you want for free? Of course they're not going to let me see Kevin Durant dropping 23 points on those dirty kangaroo-loving Aussies. Oh, they're they're having a music festival and I got to pay to get into this thing? What's this? This new? Like, of course, of course you have to pay to watch the Peacock content you most want to see. That would be a bad business model otherwise. I thought you were going to rant about if you are already a paying Peacock subscriber, Mm -hmm. their coverage is terrible. Sure, you get occasional live matches like the like the men's basketball game against right. Australia. For 99% of events, you're missing it entirely. Maybe you get a replay of it two or three days later after everybody knows what happened and it doesn't even matter anymore. The coverage has been absolutely horrible. If you've cut the cord like me and you were relying on Peacock, you basically didn't get to see the Olympics unless you wanted to see Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg talk about the Olympics because there's hours and hours and hours of that. I mean, at least that's kind of fun, but there's so much beach volleyball. They really seem to think that Sports Center type highlight clips and then Snoop and Kevin Hart was all people on Peacock were really going to want to see. And it's like, I want to see some soccer matches and I want to see some track and swimming. And like within a few hours of it happening, not three days later when I know who won everything. The schedule is hard to follow. It's been a nightmare. If you're NBC, I don't see how you're making these agreements where it's like, sure, we'll run all the first-run Olympic stuff on the USA Network, and then the people who are signing up for this streaming service we spent years promoting will get Snoop Dogg uh, making skeet jokes. Did you see that? Did you see that clip that went around this week? No, I didn't. Snoop and and Kevin Hart are watching skeet skeet shooting, shooting, and naturally, Snoop cannot resist the, oh, I'm a world champion in skeet. Skeet, skeet, skeet on a bitch, you know, like the, and, and it's. Did he say on a bitch? Close or, or something akin to it. Okay. It was on Peacock. So it's just on a streaming service, but they're doing it in the NBC sports Olympic sets. So you've got the, the, the NBC logo mm-hmm. and the Olympic rings. And so this got online and people thought this was like on NBC. So it went viral that like, oh my God, Snoop went on NBC and made cum jokes. And it's like, no, it was just on Peacock folks. But I can get behind that. If Peacock's Olympic coverage was solid and there was a show with Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg talking about it, great. Fantastic. I will check this out. I'm just saying that's not a replacement for other Olympic coverage. That's a fun little add-on. That's a little perk. I'm I'm just, I was just so sad to, I I, I got to get behind that paywall. Do I? No. It's like five bucks. It's like five bucks a month. Anyway. HBO Max, they passed on Overlook. This is the Shining anthology series from J.J. Abrams. The Overlook Hotel with the distinctive carpeting. Right. So uh, this was from two Castle Rock writers. The idea is it's an anthology. We would follow various stories from the history of the spooky, haunted Overlook Hotel. I believe in the years before... The Shining happens. So before the Torrances arrive for their ill-fated uh, winter season. Pre-Jack. Jack Torrance, not Nichols. Yes. This may still live on. Like, Bad Robot has not totally killed off hope that this is going to be a show. They're shopping it around. Deadline seems to think that Netflix may be interested in picking this up. I gotta say, there's a lot of Shining and Stephen King content right Mm -hmm. now, and I I feel like this may be the odd man out. Oh. We just had Doctor Sleep, and it it did not even do all that spectacularly well. It didn't do numbers. You know, there's so many other Stephen King adaptations. Apple just did Lizzie's Story, and we Mm -hmm. we just had Castle Rock on Hulu. And that got canceled, right? Yeah, after two seasons. I actually Mm -hmm. thought that was pretty good. I liked Castle Rock. But um, it may be time to, like, pump the brakes a little on all this King and come back to it in a few years. If there's a famous, even semi-famous Stephen King story, somebody's working on a version of it right now. Like Firestarter, I'm pretty sure there's a version of it. Christine, I think somebody's working on a new one. You know, like there, it's just, it's all open season. Anything Stephen King. Yep. 
Maximum Overdrive. Sure. That's, you know, not even a book. That was just a movie he decided to do. Oh, gotcha. Maybe my favorite movie trailer of all time. Do you remember the trailer for Maximum Overdrive? I mean, I remember that Green Goblin truck. Right. The trailer is hosted by Stephen King, but he's playing this very, like, over-the-top manic version. He's playing it like he, the author Stephen King, is evil. I'm a maniac, and I wrote a crazy story. (laughs) Like, legitimately, that is the way he's playing it. So, like, just Stephen King doing a Crypt Keeper impression. Yes, and his whole setup is like, you know, a lot of people have adapted my stories, but I've decided if you really want to scare people, you got to do it yourself. And and then, yeah, and then it'll cut to, like, people dying, and and then it literally ends with, like, zooming in on his face, like, I'm going to scare the hell out of you. It's Amazing. It's so good. It's like the greatest movie trailer. I like that. It, I mean, you're definitely giving me just a more manic version of like uh, Alfred Hitchcock Presents right. kind of vibes. Yes. And, it's, uh, it's, it, like Alfred Hitchcock, he he has adopted a, like Stephen King as a perso- as a freaky, creepy persona. Yes. And he wants to like scare you by being Stephen King. It's really fun. I like him on Twitter. And I would like this. I mean, I like the Overlook as a setting. I think there's a lot of fun stuff you could do with this. I'm sure they've got some clever ideas. I just feel like mm-hmm. we're at this. We're in this moment where, you know, Mike Flanagan's done so much Stephen King. There's just so much Stephen King out there. I feel like people might be a little bit burnt out. So many hits, so many misses. It's crazy. Yeah, the guy's amazing. Uh, all right. I, I sent you some trailers to watch. I think we should talk oh, about I did. those. I did watch them. Uh, first up, He's All That. This stars TikTok sensation Addison Ray. This is mm-hmm. a gender-swapped remake of the 90s, She's All That. But with the same message, conform for acceptance. Yes, make yourself look like everyone else and then people will like you. So in this one, she's social media influencer, star of the school, and she makes a bet that she can take this nerdy dude who's played by one of the guys from Cobra Kai and, like, turn him into a a, a hunky babe. And then, of course, catch his feelings along the way. Blah, blah, blah. It's all basically Pygmalion and My Fair Lady done over again. Yep, yep. I can make this hunk popular. I mean, the guy's already a hunk. I mean, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with Andrew Garfield's Spider-Man. Andrew Garfield didn't work as Spider-Man because the dude was handsome AF, tall, and awesome at skateboarding. Are you playing Tobey Maguire and Tom Holland or not? They're they're all good-looking dudes. No, but they, they played nerdier. They played, like, a little bit more inept than Andrew Garfield. Garfield. Andrew Garfield was just like a fucking emo heartthrob dream. I mean, I think this is always the problem with with like when they try to redo the My Fair Lady Pygmalion story is you never want to pick like a plain looking person because then your movie stars a plain looking person. You got to pick a hottie from the beginning. Well, of course, you're not going to have a plain looking person make it in Hollywood. Yeah, right. You, you got to slap glasses on a hottie. Like Clueless works despite the fact that we can obviously tell that Brittany Murphy is attractive from the very beginning. Like, yes. I, you know, I think you sometimes have to kind of make those allowances. Like, it's just a stupid retread. And then... Well, it's for it's for kids who don't remember the original. Right. But also not a fan of Addison Ray with her fawning over Trump at the... Uh... Yeah. I mean, listen, she's probably not great. Anyway, uh, so... Uh, but there, this will feature Rachel Lee Cook and Matthew Lillard from the original film. They're going to they're gonna be back in this one. And Mark Waters, who directed Mean Girls, is uh, behind the camera. So we'll see. I'm going to skip it unless you say, how we got to talk about it. Then I won't skip it. <laughs> I can't foresee myself saying that. Uh, up next, Amazon, uh, Cinderella. Camilla Cabello stars in this. She's from, uh, what was, was it, that girl group? I'm now I'm blanking on the name. She was Girls in a, 5 Eva. No, it's not Girls 5 Eva. Look, I'll look it up now. I mean, it's embarrassing. I'll never forget what Camilla Cabello is. Fifth Harmony. There you go. Remember Fifth Harmony? She was one of the five harmonies. Oh, yes. Camila Cabello from that group, now a solo artist, starring in this Amazon Prime. It was uh, This was originally going to be theatrical, but then it, it got pushed to Amazon Prime Video. Uh, mm-hmm. It's from uh, the lady, Kay Cannon, who did Blockers, and she did Pitch Perfect. Oh, yeah. Kay Cannon back in the day in I.O. West uh, and Improv Olympic uh, comedy person. Very nice. She wrote and directed this, and it, it, it's, it's, it's like a self-aware sort of take. So they're they're redoing the Cinderella story, but then every once in a while a character will sort of comment on how they're redoing the Cinderella story. And it also seems like it's it's kind of done this odd thing of like, 
it's still set in like castles and villages and, you know, it like looks historical, but she wants to be a dressmaker and she wants to be an entrepreneur. And it's got this like sort of modern day capitalist kind of cosmopolitan vibe where part of the meta thing, she's like, I don't want to just meet some prince. I want to like go into business for myself. Listen, people love a girl boss. Yes, this is like the girl boss version of Cinderella. Yes, um, this is the girl boss Cinderella, very modernized. You got it like kind of a Moulin Rouge take with the, the I mean, Moulin Rouge, I, I consider the granddaddy of uh, taking pop songs and, and putting them into some other piece of content or movie. And it's got that vibe. And, uh, you know, it looks fun, except, uh, you know, uh, we, we were talking about this before we started uh, um, talking and recording our conversation for the podcast. Uh, how many Cinderella's have we had? It's just like the story is, gets a little tired after a while. I wish that, you know, all of these talented people could get together and just make the story they want to make. This, to me, feels like it's not really Cinderella. It almost seems like they're embarrassed by the Cinderella aspects of the story and are trying to, like, use humor to, like, excuse it. Like, ah, listen, we know Cinderella's dumb, but this is going to be fun. And it's like, well, then why do Cinderella at all? Like, a jukebox musical with Camilla Cabello where she wants to be a dressmaker and she meets a guy. Like, that could be its own movie. It doesn't have to be a Cinderella adaptation. Yeah, it could be Emily in Paris, too. <laughs> Emily in Paris, I thought we'd agreed. <laughs> oh, c'est très bien. Yeah, that's how we got to say that from now on. They, they, they insist. You know, if you told me that this had already aired on one of those ABC Saturday night, uh, like, live-action musical <laughs> right. things, or, like, with the live-action Cinderella that we've already done with um, Lily Allen. Lily James. Oh, Lily James. Lily James, sorry. Um, Although Lily Allen, now you're talking. That's, now oh, that's yeah. a Cinderella movie. Yeah, it's it's just, it's such well-trod territory. But, you know, they got some, you know, requisite powerhouses here. You got Adele Dazeem as the evil stepmother. And Billy Porter is the fairy godparent. You know, I mm-hmm. think he says godmother. Yeah, I think he says godmother. I don't know. I feel like we're in this place now where... Every concept has to be like Cruella, you know, where it's like, obviously they wanted to do something different, but they just had to like figure out how to make it make sense for this IP that everybody knows. And I'm just like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of it. Right. Also, I did not know going into this that it was a jukebox musical. I kind of thought it was going to be original song. Like, I knew it was a musical and Camila Cabello in it. Right. But then they start singing, like, Rhythm Nation, and it's like, oh, I did not know it was going to be old songs. And, you know, that can be uh, hit and miss. I mean, there uh, it is. Uh, it evokes kind of... Knight's Tale a lot, I think. Oh, okay. You remember that? Remember Knight's Tale? Yeah, with Heath Ledger. Right. Well, that, that was, it was medieval, but they're singing modern songs. Right. Like right. they do Golden Years and that one scene. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Song. I've only seen bits and pieces of Night's Tale. Oh, it's good. It's fun. Uh, good early Alan Tudyk performance. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's uh, geared towards a very specific demo. This is like Gen Z want to see a a girl boss in in this fairy tale, a modern take on an old classic. And how many Cinderella's have there been? Like that would be something to go back and how many takes or versions, including the Jerry (laughs) Jerry Lewis vehicle Cinderella, like how many versions of this? Any guess? Oh, hun- hundreds. Hun- hun- I didn't know you were asking that as a question. Hun- hundreds no, of no, Cinderella no. adaptations. So there you go. I And for the longest time, I thought Cinderella was a Disney property just because their stamp was so hard on the animated version. Well, all those old Disney animated classics are folk tales or fairy tales or adaptations or... Not cars. First of all, that's a Pixar movie. But second of all, that's very modern. I mean, old like the classic Disney. If it's got Mater in it, <laughs> it's a classic. Yeah, fair enough. Card's also based on the taming of the screw. Uh, no, it is. <laughs> uh, here's our Peacock story. Fresh Prince. They, oh, actually, it's called Bel Air. So Peacock has this show coming on called Bel Air uh-huh. that is the dramatic reboot of the Fresh Prince of Bel Air. It was based on a YouTube short that this guy did where it was reimagining the whole series as what if it was a serious story about a, a kid from a bad neighborhood of West Philadelphia uh, gets into some trouble with, with his friends after some b-ball, uh, up to no good. You, you know the story. 
<laughs> Lon, uh, wrap it out. Wrap it out, Lon. <laughs> uh, so he has to move in with his auntie and uncle in Bel Air, but it's a very serious take on it. So they had a showrunner set to go, Chris Collins. He was from mm-hmm. Sons of Anarchy, a bunch of other credits. He has now exited the project, and two new guys, TJ Brady and Rashid Newson, are coming in. Okay. They're from The Chai, The 100. They've also worked on a bunch of stuff. So, literally, we don't know what quite what's happening yet, but some tumult, yeah, but some creative. But this has already been – Peacock ordered two seasons for this show. Oh, wow. And Will and Jada Smith, both on board as executive producers, like, it's happening. Is it called The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air? It's just called Bel-Air. The new show's just Bell. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so we're going to get like an OC kind of Beverly Hills 90210 version of The Fresh Prince, some more dramatic, uh, you know, Gossip Girl, Pretty Little Liars, however, uh, Riverdale. Right, and uh, I'm sure it'll, we'll, we'll dig deeper into the sort of romantic lives of all of the siblings and, you know, like more storylines akin to the the classic Ben Vereen episode of Fresh Prince where right, it did get, it did take a dramatic turn. Why why didn't his dad want him? You know, that, that sort of thing. Culture, race, um uh, social constructs and social uh, class. Lon, any more stories? We got one more I want to get to. Angela Bassett will earn a reported $450,000 per episode for next Ooh. season of Fox's 911. That's enough to make her the highest paid actress of color in broadcast TV history, Hal. She's an executive producer on 911. She's also an executive producer on its spinoff, 911 colon Lone Star. So a big payday for Angela Bassett. Angela Bassett is is a national treasure. I feel like we we love Angela Bassett on this podcast. Yes, um, I have my Angela Bassett fan club, the Bassett Hounds. Woof woof. We love you, Angela. <laughs> All of Hal's uh, social organizations are animal themed. In case you were wondering, got yes. Owl Nation. Got the Bassett Who? Hounds. Any others? Any others? Oh, um, the the little possums. <laughs> Those are uh, inner city children of promise that Hal is mentoring. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, we give we give, give away scholarships. <laughs> what a what a giving guy you are! Really, really civic minded. It's very impressive. My fantasy baseball team is called the Hohokus Gibbons. <laughs> that is a true story. <laughs> Hohokus? Is that a is that Ho-Hocus a town? Hohokus is a town in North Jersey. Wow, yeah. I have never heard of Hohokus. Yeah, but it's it's fun to say. That's such an odd name for a town. I feel like it's um it's an indigenous name or it must Native be. American well, of course, name. Yeah. of course, I'm sure it is. Mm-hmm. But that's why I'm making fun of it. But uh, I got to interview Angela Bassett once. I, I felt like I wanted to give her a Wakanda Forever or something, mm, uh, mm, but no. but I, 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 I held off. I'm making a I, face right now. I, I, yeah. I feel like I feel like if you were if you were a black person, you could have totally gotten away with that, and it would seem like oh cool, yeah, that was a big moment for us. Uh, I feel like you doing it is just cringy and weird. Yes, and also, but I, I felt like I should have acknowledged a little bit more just how much of a queen she was in the interview because yeah, just don't. She's, just she's been and, so like, just say you're a fan. Like, you, I, I think you could respectfully say you're a fan. That's fine. That's very professional. When I used to do junkets, and I was like in college, like I was like mm-hmm. eighteen, I already found it really cringy when people would like effusively praise the celebrities or whatever. It's like, listen. But you know, Milan. Whenever I can, I love to sidestep professionalism. Yeah, it's true. It's true. But I always thought, like, to me, like the the, the best thing to do would just be like, "Hey, I just want to let you know, like, I, I'm a I'm a huge fan. Your work means a whole lot to me. I think you're, you know, like I like something like that. I think is very nice. You know what? Let me write that. Say that again. And, and I've and I've always felt people appreciate anything else. It's just like, ooh, they're like, oh, you're a queen. Like I I know it sounds like. Well, I might not have said that. That's the sort of thing, exactly. like, if you were, were a BuzzFeed writer and you wrote it, people would be like, yes, she has a regal bearing. I was too effusive uh, when I met Weird Al. I, I've done it a few times. I'm not I'm not saying I'm, like, too good for this. Like, I've definitely, when I met Scumbag Steve, the guy mm-hmm. who, like, in the meme, I, like, really, I got really Scumbag excited. Steve? Do you remember Who's the Scumbag Steve meme? It was like... This would have been, you know, 10, 12 years ago already. Just a guy in a stupid looking hat. And the meme was he was a scumbag. And so you put, you know, like, remember how memes used to be where it was just like a picture of a random person. Sure. Uh, so anyway, uh, Scumbag Steve was a huge meme. And then I went to a party that Mashable threw. Remember Mashable? I went to a party that mm-hmm. Mashable threw at <laughs> South by Southwest. And they yeah. had a few people who were memes at the party. 
And it was very exciting to get to meet the real world. I think they had overly attached girlfriend was there. Oh, yes. Uh, a few of the famous cats they even brought. Some of the viral cats at the time were very big. Was Tazon Day there? Tazon Day was not there, but I'd, like Tazon Day was a regular of YouTube LA circles and that. Are, like, I know I know Tazon Day. <laughs> like, we've, we've met several times. Yeah, I met him at VidCon or yeah, something. At a bar here in Los Angeles that is now closed. They used to be on Wilshire. I would introduce Craig Robinson to Tazon Day. Oh, wow. I was there I mean, filming a video with Tazon Day. I went over to the bar just to, like, get equipment or whatever. We were keeping some stuff by the bar. And just sitting at the bar, not connected to our shoot at all, just enjoying a drink, office star Craig Robinson. Yes. And I'm there, and he's Craig like, Robinson. what are you guys working on? And I'm like, oh, we're filming this YouTube thing. And he's like, you know what YouTube video I love? Unprompted. He just says this to me when he hears I'm working on a YouTube thing. Chocolate Rain. And I'm like, you know, Craig Robinson, the guy who did Chocolate Rain, he's right over there. Would you like to meet him? And this is, I've never, I've never had a celebrity get this excited about something I've said before, but he like really was into meeting the Chocolate Rain guy. So I'm glad I got to make that happen. A, a beautiful moment, a beautiful moment in, in Los Angeles that Hollywood, it, it all came together that night. He also, he asked me if I was a comedy writer and I said, yes. And so he then took my number in case he ever needed jokes, but I never heard from him. I never heard from him again. Oh man. I would have loved to write a joke or two for Craig Rapp. Oh, heck yeah. Anyway, there's my, my brief brush with viral fame. You know what? I just want to put a, a button on the news by saying congrats to Trey Parker and Matt Stone on all their big piles of money. And congrats to Angela Bass it on her big piles of money. I'm glad they're going to be able to be on Elysium when shit down here really hits the fan. Good for them. Yes, they will be up there with uh, Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk while we are burning because the sun got too close. Yeah, basically that. On that note, uh, we are going to step away for a moment. And when we come back, oh, talking about someone else who went to space, Fast 9. We're going to talk about... Fast 9, the Fast and Furious Saga, which is available video on demand now, coming up in just a moment. Lon. Pal. Would you describe yourself as more fast or more furious? Oh, definitely furious. I'm not fast at all. Yeah. My series would be the slow and quite furious. Like, I, I get, I'm capable of being much angrier than I am quick. That doesn't surprise me. You, uh, you, you are quick to ire. No, I'm kidding. It's not not true. Lon, Fast 9, the Fast and Furious saga. F9? Are we calling it F9? Fast? They've been back and forth on this. I, I, your confusion is understandable. I think we're calling it F9. You know what? F them for making Ooh. it so confusing. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but it's available video on demand. I did not go see it in the theaters. Did you saw it in the theaters? Yes. Oh yeah, opening weekend. Opening weekend, uh, maskless. Just I, well, I haven't worn a mask this whole time. So no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, no, I did. This was it was the second. I've seen two movies in theaters since we were temporarily allowed back outside of our homes. Mm -hmm. uh, Cruella, and then this one, and both times. I have worn the mask until I was down in my seat with the only other people around me. I were my brother and his fiance, both of whom I know for a fact are vaccinated. And that was the only time I pulled that mask off. I had to eat my popcorn. Oh, indeed. I've been to one movie and I sat in the back corner by myself uh, when I saw Bob Odenkirk's Nobody. Bob Odenkirk, uh, wishing you well, by the way. Because we know he's listening as he's yeah, recovering. Yeah, big, big fan of Binge Boys, Mr. Odenkirk. Yes. So uh, how was the movie theater experience? Because I, I saw it on the small screen. These are great, fun movies to see with a big crowd. If you, I mean, I wouldn't, don't go now because everybody's dying. But like, if you if, if you ever can, again, I always recommend Fast and Furious movies on the big screen because it's, it's spectacle. I've now, it's spectacle. I've now watched the movie twice. I've watched it since it's now hit home video. The, night and day. The way these movies play on a big screen yep. with a pumped up crowd versus mm -hmm. when you're just sitting there on a computer. Because then when you're on the computer, you could pay attention to the minutia. You could start to pick it apart. All the things that don't quite come together or hold up become more apparent. When you're theater, you don't care about any of that stuff. You're just swept up in the moment. Exactly. I rented it yesterday and I watched it in like three sittings. Well, don't do that. Well, sorry, <laughs> I did that. I have that choice to do that. I'm not interrupting anybody. That is going to impact your experience adversely if you're breaking it up to go like do errands or whatever. Don't tell me don't do that. I just did. Don't you tell me that. I'm. Here's what I'm going to do. We're going to end this podcast. I'm going to get on the horn with Chris Nolan and just let him know what you did. 
Oh my goodness. All yeah. right, why don't you tell Martin Scorsese yeah. while you're at it, you freaking tattletale? You don't give a shit. <laughs> oh. I love all these all these guys. Uh, and listen, James Gunn, great, great. I like James Gunn, great filmmaker. He seems like a nice guy. But does Martin Scorsese know his name? Like, honestly. Like, it just, it's egomaniacal <laughs> of him to be like, oh, Martin Scorsese's using Marvel movies to get people to go see his own. Like, I don't even think Martin Scorsese gives a shit if you watch The Irishman. He's on to the next fucking three things. Yes, he's Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, yeah, I don't think Martin Scorsese cares at all. I think he was just expressing an opinion, and that's what's made people so crazy. Like, they can't get over it because he's so unflappable. You can't upset Martin Scorsese. He's just like this. I agree. I, You know, uh, we digress a little bit. But yeah, uh, James Gunn, uh, I really like James Gunn. But Martin Scorsese, I feel like, yeah, he was just commenting on the state of film. How could you not talk about the state of film without mentioning the biggest blockbuster behemoths that are out there. One person in this scenario is talking about the other one while they're out there trying to promote their movie, and it's James Gunn talking about Martin Scorsese while he's promoting the Suicide Squad. And he's just like projecting this like on to, oh, Scorsese's using Marvel to sell tickets to the Irish, but it's like, I don't think Martin Scorsese says anything he doesn't believe in an interview because he thinks somebody's going to go see the Irishman. I honestly don't know if he cares. Exactly. Anyway, back to F9. Back to F9. You know, they've got the formula down. They've got the formula down. So if you like the other movies, you'll like this movie. But that being said, you can see all of the seams are a little bit more exposed. And like if you, when put under a microscope, it kind of (laughs) starts to shred and fall apart. I mean, for, for one, for eight movies prior, Vin Diesel and has become memed to death and it has beaten like the dead horse has been up. It is a a shred of pulp and and and, and embers now. The family. So he's talked about family for so long, but we never heard about this brother before. Before now, yeah, but, like, but that, he's weird. an estranged brother. So he's not. He's talking about his okay. found family, not necessarily just every Toretto. I, that, okay. I don't mind that so much. I'll tell you the one thing that rubs me a little wrong. I still think this is a lot of fun. If you're a fan of the franchise like I am, see it, of course. Yes. But I kind of don't love the constant meta referencing of they're becoming self-aware about how silly the movies are. Mm-hmm. And that I don't like that. Like what I think it works so well to me – Five, six, and seven, that's like peak Fast and Furious. Like, that's the high point of this franchise. Agreed. The Rock coming in and those movies with him. And And, and those movies are, they're very dumb and silly, but they're taking themselves, they're completely genuine. They're not ironic. They're not trying to be dumb or crazy. They're just, these are very over-the-top heist action movies, but we're playing it very sincerely. And it was fresh. Right. Because well, five, six, and seven, they hit no, they hit a new level. Right. They're, they're, they added this heist element to the to the movies, but but Vin Diesel's playing that character 100 percent sincere. The mm-hmm. the emotions are real. It just happens to be in this really over-the-top, uh, cartoonish sort of world that doesn't obey physics. But now The characters have internalized this idea that everything is ridiculous. It's a heightened, crazy world. Things don't have to necessarily make sense. I don't necessarily like the characters acknowledging it so much. I think it makes it more fun when they're not in on the joke with us. The moment that preceded the first mention of it, it it's so over the top with Tyrese being pinned down by, like, 14 dudes with machine but guns. But they've all been. I, I mean, the whole series is, like, the the, the last and one that, involves them driving, outrunning a nuclear submarine, driving yes. on ice. And, I, I mean, like, there's one where The Rock fights a Predator drone. I mean, like, these movies have been crazy. You can get away with the crazy. We don't need the the guy winking at us while the crazy thing is happening. It's a movie. We could just accept that it's crazy. I feel like... That may be the jump the shark moment for the whole franchise. If from here on out they're going to go more Sharknado with it and start acknowledging how dumb they're being, well, that makes it less fun. Yeah, like, oh, wow, anyone else in real life would have been killed. Like, we know that. It's like the when you're watching like a so bad it's good movie or like trash cinema, you can't intentionally make that. 
The, the room only happened because Tommy Wiseau didn't know he was making a terrible movie. Right. Birdemic only happened because James Wynn didn't realize he thought he was making a great movie. And then yeah, it took plan this— Plan 9 from outer space. Ex- exactly. Back at, uh, over and over. But I will say I do enjoy Tyrese and Ludacris in this movie. So, I mean, um, they're and great I, and they're having they've fun. They've got great chemistry. They bag on each other in such a good way. And I, I don't know if I can name another Tyrese movie. Transformers. Uh, He's in the Transformers series. Oh, also, yeah. Baby Boy, John Singleton's Baby Boy. Oh, yes. You know what? Those should have been at the tip of my tongue because uh, I do remember those right as you say them. But he's so good. Like, so coming from him, it's like, oh, like, I agree with you. But then again, I like hearing just Tyrese complaining and just. I, it's like, not being, a knock on any member of this ensemble. I, I celebrate yeah. this franchise. I, I love mm-hmm. these characters. I would go see a hundred of these. I'm just stating my preference. I think I think it's better. When the movies really play genuine and don't reference the fact that that's not how magnets work at all. Yes. Uh, speaking of magnets, it made me think of the Breaking Bad magnet episode. It made me think of uh, the insane clown posse asking how magnets work. It's very magnet centric. And it's, it's kind of funny because like they found magnets along the way and they're like, oh, we got to use these magnets. Yeah. Uh, well, when you find a truck full of powerful magnets, you're like, how can we use this? Yes. And also this rocket car that these guys who were not engineers somehow invented. Yep. The drift guys from Tokyo Drift off screen became aerospace engineers. We don't know. Don't question this. Yeah. Don't don't question it. And also just the soap opera-like, the character you thought was gone returns from the dead, which has happened multiple times in the Fast franchise. And then the giant action set piece that is going to end the movie. This is stuff that is all just repeated. So there's nothing spectacular or extraordinary about this movie. And I think the action... Well, it's it's been like this, but there are so many moments where you're like, no. But you just go along for the ride because you're playing yourself if you're questioning them and saying the reality does not work. Because what do you want? It's a fast and furious movie. So there you have it. Yeah, a little too long, probably about 20 minutes too long. You know, do we need to go two and a half hours? I did like uh, some of the family history. I like the flashbacks, except there's, you know, a moment, sort of a dream sequence. I won't give away uh, what happens where uh, Dominic Toretto goes back and remembers all of these moments from his childhood after he gets knocked out. I won't get into how. And he's like in the flashback sequence. And there's no shortage of just family flavored cheese. But yeah, it's all about family, I guess, except when it comes to your long lost brother who you don't mention for eight freaking movies, who also happens to be an international super spy. The fuck? He didn't know. He didn't know his narrative. How does he not know that? They don't speak. He drove away into the night after their drag race, and that was the last he heard from him. This is. Did you notice? Here's my my favorite thing in the flashbacks. So his brother's played by John Cena. We haven't mentioned. Yes. Who in today's world, if you looked at John Cena and Vin Diesel next to each other, I'd wager John Cena's probably taller, at least equivalent heights. Mm -hmm. But in the flashbacks, John Cena's character is a good foot shorter. Like, like, oh yeah, like he had a. How did that? He had a major growth spurt. Growth spurt. (laughs) Yep. After post-adolescent growth spurt, you know, you know how that happens. True. You know how when you're 19, suddenly you shoot up (laughs) the foot. Yes. Become John Cena. Yeah. Listen, he had a grow up and a glow up. Yeah. John Cena's character, much more muted tones than we're used to seeing him in. No jorts at all. Nothing colorful. I was kind of hoping because he's all in black the whole time. At least at one point, it would have been funny to have black wristbands. Little fuzzy cufflinks. Hell yeah. And you know what else would have been awesome? Uh, Just one moment in the movie. (laughs) You can't can't put in the John Cena. You can't put that in. You know, now you see me. Uh, now you don't. That's too, uh, much. That's too far. You you can't you can't see me. Let's let's wrap it up. We got it. We got to move on. 
I don't want to spoil anything, but did we find out, is Mr. Nobody still alive? They made this one knowing they're doing another one with the same cast and crew right after. So they, they left a few threads. There's Mr. Nobody, but then there's also, we don't know who Otto's dad is. There's a character who keeps referencing oh, yeah. his powerful dictator father, like, wait till mm-hmm. my father hears about this. And we don't see or hear about it. We don't know who's been cast as this character's father. So I feel like they're setting up Fast 10 within this movie. And that's one of the elements I'm sure that we'll reveal is where has Mr. Nobody been this whole time? Because Kurt Russell obviously appeared in this movie. Yes. But we don't know his current location or status. His current location is cashing his Fast and Furious checks. Fast 9, VOD, You know, check it out if you want to have that fun, but uh, it's not going to be as fun at home as it might be at the movie theater, but less Delta variant at your house, hopefully. So God bless everyone associated with this. It's all about family. Moving on. Lon and I both watched the Tignataro stand-up special, Drawn, which is available on HBO Max. Correct. Is it just an HBO Max or is it an HBO? Uh, I believe it was aired on HBO, but you can now stream it on HBO Max. But it's all the same. If you're streaming it, HBO and HBO Max at this point are basically one and the same. So that would only be an issue in terms of if you planned on watching it on terrestrial TV. And if you are... Get the fuck out of this podcast. That's not what this podcast is about. Thank you. We're extraterrestrial, not terrestrial. <laughs> um, I really like this. Uh, I, I, I thought this was a really just fun way to frame and to bring to life a stand-up special. And it's a fun stand-up show. And it's brisk. It's under an hour. It's 52 minutes, I believe. And the way it goes down the different little rabbit holes and brings little details to life and also just adds some fun to Tignataro's already uh, masterful uh, stand-up comedy. Uh, It was pretty delightful. I enjoyed this. I can't help but feel like I probably would have enjoyed just a traditional show me Tignataro telling these jokes special as much if not more. Like, I'm not... Really? The animation is cool. I like the way it looked and I liked how they, you know, they bring in for every sort of bit, for every, like, story that she tells or sort of segment of the show, they bring in a different animator. So they're all different yes. styles. Like some of them are computers, some of them are hand-drawn. And I like that. And I and I thought it was visually interesting. But at the same time, I think a lot of stand-up is seeing the performer. It's watching their facial expressions. It's watching how they move around the stage. It's reading their body language. And this robs you of that. And it gives you something else. But I, I don't know if it's a good replacement. It, it almost feels at some points like watching two things. You're watching this animator kind of riff on the audio and you're hearing Tig tell the jokes. And I don't know if they're always working towards the same. It feels like kind of like two things going on at once sometimes. I thought this was a fun departure. Listen, I'm not, this is not going to completely replace, obviously, stand-up comedy concert films and specials, but- No, I this is it, it was, now. They're all like this now, from now oh, on. Oh, man. Yeah, this oh, is it. No, we can't ever go back. Never. You're never going to see a both? comedian again. Why can't we have both? I thought it did a nice job of going down these little alleys and rabbit holes and bringing uh, these stories to life in a fun way that you obviously couldn't have or wouldn't have otherwise. And the way it kind of summed it all up at the end, it kind of brought like these different characters and things that were introduced throughout together. That was very satisfying. And you got to have these extra visual jokes. You got these extra gags on top of the fun storytelling. Also, I just want to say the visuals aside, Tig does such a great job of making it feel alive in the moment the story, the theater, because obviously it is live, but, you know, that's kind of a stand-up comedian's magic trick to make it seem like so much in the moment was on the spot. And, you know, maybe it is, maybe it isn't, but it felt very vital, vibrant, and alive. And I just thought the animation absolutely added, and uh, it was a welcome departure. You know, uh, you remember that Comedy Central uh, shorties watching shorties bit they used to do? Uh, yeah. It was like Patrice O'Neill and Jim Norton watching stand-up, but it, but they were animated. Like, this This feels like, it feels like that 
or like Dr. Katz. Like this is also what Dr. Katz used to be, where Dr. Katz was a therapist and all of his clients were comedians, but they would just do their material as if they were in therapy and then it would be animated. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you know, like Dave Chappelle's famous Aquaman talking to the fish bit, but you would see a little cartoon Aquaman trying to talk to the fish. Uh, this is a thing we, we've sort of seen before. Like, I, I, I don't know. I get it. I just, I don't know. Part of me is like, I didn't really need this. Like, I, I, like it's fine, but it's like, at heart, I think the material is probably strong enough to stand on its own. Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, Tignataro is a great storyteller. I'm just saying, why do you think Tignataro is not enough and you demand a whole extra layer of entertainment, Al? That seems kind of unreasonable. Because if I'm <laughs> just, going to get kidding. behind that paywall, I want <laughs> HBO Max, there is no free version. You have to. They, it's all behind the paywall. Yes. They, that's not true. They actually put up 10 pilots. Like, you watch a bunch of pilots on HBO Max, even without signing in. Mm. So they, like, try to, like, Hook you, you can watch the very first episode of Batwoman, but if you want to yeah. see episode two, you got to pay. Peacock does the same thing. You feel a little peacock teased, is what you're saying? Exactly. Even though I disagree with you, or I, I'm just like a little bit further apart from you from how much I like this, I, I guess, compared to you, I do agree with you in as much as it's not remaking the wheel. This is something that has been done animating a, a comics bit, and there are probably many examples that we're leaving out. But the way they put it together, and again, the way they wrapped it up at the end, bringing together these characters, uh, the Spider, Van Halen, Eddie Van Halen, and all these different uh, characters. Draw them behind. Uh, they're all on stage together. I don't, it's not like some. Well, no, they're thing. all on stage, but also there, there was just a sequence at the end where we kind of just like blew past them and, and, and right. saw them as well. Sure. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I liked it. That was very satisfying. Oh, okay. You know, I'm a visual learner, Lon. Okay. I liked seeing everything happening. And again, I thought it was able to really just stick the landing or just really hit some of these jokes and premises. And uh, I I thought it was uh, cleverly done. It was just a a fun, brisk 52 minutes. Put it on. You'll enjoy it. Then you can put on your shoes and go out and go to the the drive-thru, Carl's Jr., or KFC, whatever you're, what you and you go on about? with your day. Let's, let's wrap. The, let's wrap this up. I think we're we're making fast food recommendations. It's, it's enough already. I will recommend one fast food thing. If you want a chicken sandwich that will honestly exceed your expectations, the Burger King chicken. Okay, so good. I'm going to wrap so up good. the show. If you want to just keep talking about Burger King, that is totally fine. I'm going to spare. Hoot, hoot. Thank I'm going to spare the rest. Hashtag <laughs> Owl Nation. Uh, there's a little owl that lives in all of our butts. Yeah. Thank you, Starburns Audio. Appreciate y'all. Travis Reeves, thank you for producing and cutting out uh, a lot of the bullshit in between. Oh, uh, are we going to cut out all that stuff? That was gold. Oh, uh, we're, we're going to cut out half of this part. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Take the, take the shears to it, buddy. And thank you to Jason Kay for the uh, sweet guitar licks. Lon Harris, uh, anything uh, you want to tell the folks? If you go to Arby's. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, find me on Twitter at L-O-N-S and uh, inside.com slash streaming. That's free. It's five days a week. It's, it's, uh, it's all of this, but it's just me. Thank you, Lon. And I will say, I have not been paid or uh, approached by Burger King, but, <laughs> but try the chicken sandwich. Now, yeah, you will be now. Hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Hal Rudnick, H-A-L-R-U-D-N-I-C-K. And if you didn't like it, you know what? I will publicly apologize to you. All right? And uh, hit me up there for all sorts of other bullshit and comedy and nonsense. Uh, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys.